So we're doing our year of the Bible thing, right? And so we've been going through this, and some of you are like, when's it going to end? And it's it, at the end of the year. It's a year of the Bible. And my hope is that, that as we've gone through this process, you've seen some themes, right? If you read through the Old Testament, you probably saw some recurring themes. Like in, in the beginning, it's sort of about God's covenant with a, with a person, and then it's about God's covenant with a people and a nation. But the theme of covenant runs through the entire Old Testament. The theme of God's power and his, his hatred for sin and his desire to set his people apart. All these things in the entire Old Testament, you see this theme of pointing to something greater that is to come, right? So through the Old Testament, as you've read it, which I know you all have, you see this theme of God and who he is and what he's doing. And then when we get to the New Testament, you see themes. And as a matter of fact, if, if someone asked me to sum up the New Testament, which they rarely do, but if someone asked me to do that, I would sum it up like this. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That's the theme of the, of the New Testament. And if you're reading any part of the New Testament, you are reading about Christ has died, Christ has risen, or Christ will come again. You're reading something that has something to do with those three things because those are the themes of the New Testament. And so as we're reading this, we're reading Thessalonians right now, you're seeing these themes. And I was thinking about that this week as I was reading Paul's letter to, to uh, the church at uh, uh, Thessalonica or whatever, Thessalonica, which one do you think it is? Thessalonica? I'll, I'll take that. I was reading Paul's letter to that church, and, um, and I was like, it, it, it's cool because you see these, Paul uses these themes over and over and over again. You see the same thing in almost every letter. There's always this flow to the things that Paul is talking about. But I was thinking, you know, two of these themes get a lot of play in, in church. Like we talked about Christ has died a lot. And we talked about Christ is, is risen a lot, right? I mean, the, the, those things have their own special days. It's called Good Friday and Easter. So we celebrate Christ has died and we celebrate Christ. We even celebrate Jesus' birthday. We picked some arbitrary day in December and said, that's it. And we give each other presents. So we celebrate those things. But what we don't celebrate a lot is the whole Christ is coming back again thing. You don't hear that talked about a lot. As a matter of fact, when we're doing communion, and sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll say, if you've ever taken communion here, we say, Christ has died, Christ has risen. At the end of that thing, it's always like we kind of trail off. It's like Christ has died, and we're all together. Christ has risen, and then the third one sounds like this. Christ has died. Was that a niner in there somewhere, Tommy? Calling from a walkie-talkie? And it, it always kind of trails off, because we that part, we're not, we, we're not real sure. That part's a little weird. That's why we don't, we don't have a Christ is coming back again day that we celebrate where we pick some arbitrary day and just say, hey, let's sell. And if you do that, if you go outside on Christ is coming back again day and celebrate, you're kind of weird <laughs> and alone. <laughs> and what would we even give each other, right? What would be the, what would be the eggs we do for Easter? Presents, we, I mean, what do we, you know, like here's a survival kit or, you know. <laughs> Here's some bottled water or a miniature white horse. I don't, I'm not exactly sure. Here's a sword. I don't know what we'd give each other for Christ is coming back again day. And so, no, we, we just don't talk about it a lot. Either, either we don't like it, we don't get it, we don't believe it, or our heads are just so full with other things that we don't ever talk about this. But if I was to break down the New Testament, I'd be willing to bet there's almost as much discussion about that as there is Christ has died or Christ has risen. And, and those are good. 
Christ died, amen, but the cross did not have the final word. Christ is risen, but the story continues. There is more to this story. Christ will come again. But we don't talk about it a lot. I've said this before. We let the weird churches handle this, right? But it's in the New Testament, and it's in there a lot. And, and so I feel like this is something that we should at least discuss. I know it, it doesn't, and it's not really our fault. It's hard for this to really affect. I mean, Paul, his life was motivated by this, but Paul was there just a few years after Christ died. We've now been waiting several thousand years, and nothing's happened. And so if I tell you, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, and you, you're like, I've waited for you 2,000 years. Like if, if Domino's says your pizza will be there, and a thousand years later it's not there, you're going to be like, are you for real, Domino's? I should have just gotten the hot and ready. I'd have it by now. It's better anyway. I mean, right, that, that, that's, that's sort of... And so it's understandable that, that we don't have this mindset of this being a daily part of our lives because we've waited a long time. Now, the Bible says we're not waiting because God is lazy. We're not waiting because God is lying. We're waiting because God is being merciful and patient. But in our humanity, the wait can be difficult. And so today, I just want to talk a little bit about this concept of Christ is coming back again. What do we do with this? How do we make this a part of our real life on a daily basis? And the first thing I think is this. The first thing we don't do is spend any time at all trying to figure out when. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2. It says, this is Paul writing Thessalonica. And he says, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write you about that. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So Paul says, I'm not going to spend any time in my letter talking about when because we have no idea when. At one point, Christ says, not even the son knows the time or the date that the father has determined. So if you're in a conversation with someone and they know when Christ is coming back again, this is what I want you to do. I love you. Get out of Dodge, man. Because they have no, we have no idea. We don't know when he is coming back again. And, and the, I was thinking about the man. If, if, if you were to put five pastors from five different churches in a room together, all, matter of fact, take, take whatever the church is, take an Eastern Assembly of God pastor and, and the East Union pastor and the Eastern Baptist pastor and, and whatever, and put us all in a room, those are all great men. Brother Paul at East Union loves Jesus Christ just as much as anyone I have ever. He is amazing. But if you put those four people in a room together, they're going to have different ideas about when and how. Right? I mean, we don't all agree on the how he's coming. Some people think they figured it out, but, but we don't know. And so because we don't know when and because we don't really know how, we know some of how, but not. I believe everything that needs to happen has happened. But we don't really know how. And so because we don't know the when or the how, let's not spend a lot of time worrying about that. So if you're, if you're really, you know, in you know, the sixth blood moon on the fourth day and you've got to lean sideways, you know, I think we could spend our time doing other things. The when and the how, I feel like we'll know. Like when he shows up, I, I feel like it'll be apparent because he's not coming back as six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus this time. <laughs> and we're going to know. It's not going to be like, you think that's Jesus? No, it's somebody else on a white horse with a sword in his mouth. It's hard to, it's hard to say. I think we're going to know. So instead of worrying about the when <laughs> and the how, let's talk about what we do know. And what we do know is the why. 
And the why is spelled out in incredible detail. And the first reason we know why he's coming back is he's coming back to rescue us. He's coming back to restore us. Listen to Revelation, man, this is cool. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. That is good. He is coming back to rescue us. He is coming back to restore us. Every pain you've ever experienced, every sorrow. Man, Jesus Christ, before he left, before he ascended back to the Father, he looked at his boys and he said, in this world you will have trouble. But after that he said, but take heart because I'm going to overcome the world. Like we, there's trouble in this world. There is pain. But there will be a day when there is no pain and there is no sorrow. And there is no fear. And at that point, everything we have laid down for the glory of Jesus Christ will be counted as reward. We we spend a lot of time in in this world like focused on immediate return, instant gratification. And if you want instant gratification, then a relationship with Jesus might not be your best bet. Because some of the greatest rewards that I will receive for what I've done in this life will not be received in this life. But there will be a day when I will be rewarded. When I will stand in front of Christ and he will stand there and he'll say, well done. Now let me lavish you with everything. That day's coming. Not because I earned it, but because he gave it to me. He gave his life so that I might experience that reward. And can you imagine a day standing face to face with God, like a conversation with God, and there's no guilt in your brain about anything? No remorse, no doubt, no fear, no regret. You're just looking at God, and he's looking at you, and you're like, wow, I just want to worship you. I just want to worship you, God, because now I understand how much you love me, and I'm free. And that's coming, and that's good news. And those of us who have given our lives to Christ, we know that there is a day with no more sorrow, no more fear, no more pain. And that's good. But he's not just coming to restore us. I know we think it's all about us. But there is more to the story. He's coming to restore all of creation. In that verse, he said, a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to redeem every single part of creation. Listen to Romans, Romans 8. This is good. It says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Christ is coming back again, not just to redeem me and you, but to redeem and restore all of creation. When God made this place, it was perfect. We broke it. We messed it up. That's why, I mean, you think about 
the, the most beautiful ocean is a broken, fractured piece of what ocean was designed to be. I think of this all the time. I know I've shared this. The most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life, and I love, I love them. There's something about sunset and sunrise that moves me every time. But the most beautiful sunset I have ever seen is a broken, fractured image of what sunset was designed to be. And when God restores everything, he's going to say, you like sunsets? Look at this. Pow. How you like them apples? Just like that dude from Goodwill Hunting. You like that? There's you, Sunset Jones. All of creation restored. Everything we broke, everything we cluttered, everything we messed up, everything we mixed up. What sin has done, the stain will be removed and all of creation will be wiped clean and we will live in harmony with God and and the earth. And that's good news. Christ is coming to restore us. He's coming to restore creation. But that's not the only things he's coming to do because it's not good news for everyone. The third thing Christ is coming to do is he's coming back to judge. 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and he will give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Wow. I didn't write that. I'll be honest with you. I don't even like it. There are parts of the Bible that, that I read and and I don't understand, and how could God do what? But Paul, a man who knew God well, seems to believe that there's a day coming when there will be judgment on the earth. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said it like this in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus in verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes, and he's talking about himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left and then skip down to verse 41 it says then he will say to those on his left depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels I I don't like this stuff I don't like to I don't like to preach about this stuff but the Bible is full of very very vivid language on what will happen when Christ comes back and we have this tendency to take the the Christ has died and the Christ is risen and we like those parts and we believe he's literal there but when we get to these parts we begin to say oh that's figurative language and that must be Hebrew it's not Hebrew he's telling the truth he's coming back and there's going to be judgment and I wish there wasn't But I don't just pick and choose the words of God that I like and throw away the rest of them. If I'm going to believe it, I'm going to believe it. And Christ says, I'm coming back as a warrior. I'm coming back to reclaim this whole thing. And part of this reclaiming is going to be violent. And it's in here. And so we have to deal with it. Or we can just choose to put our heads in the sands like ostriches and ignore it. But I don't think that's God's call for his people. So what do we do? If we believe that God, if we believe that it's possible 
that Christ is coming back again. And that part of the story is just as true as the died and the risen and he's coming back again. What do we do so that that truth begins to permeate our hearts because we can't just decide. I can't just decide to believe something. I can't just decide to be motivated by something. So I have to decide what can I do as the Holy Spirit begins to write truth on my heart, what can I do to take a step into the direction of truth? And I believe this is what we do. We change our perspective on this part of the story. We stop reading this as a gospel of waiting and we start seeing it as a mandate for working I am not waiting for Christ to come and redeem the world. He is redeeming the world right now through me. Right now, in this moment, Christ is redeeming the world through me. If I just sit around waiting for something for a thousand years, I'm going to get bored. I'm not going to care. But if I believe I am part of the process, that changes the way I think. He's coming back. And when he comes back, he will win the war. But I am winning wars while I wait for him to come win the war. I'm in a fight right now, and I'm winning right now because Christ is in me right now. That's a mindset we must take on. We're not waiting. We're winning. We're fighting. Listen to Thessalonians. This is good. It says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day should surprise you like a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether awake or asleep, we might live together with him. Therefore... Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you were doing. You know what Paul's saying? Stop waiting and start working. Yeah, he's going to win the war, but we are the preliminary invasion force. He has sent us in in advance of what is coming, and it is our job to prepare the world for his presence. We are working right now. He is working in me right now. We are doing things, not waiting on something to happen. It's a completely, I think this is my new favorite verse in the Bible, Luke 12. I get a new one every week, but this is it right now. I want you all to listen to this, okay? Luke, Luke 12, 35. This is Jesus talking. I know because it's in red. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. What he's saying is, be doing some things. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can find him and immediately open the door for him. Listen to this line. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, and he will have, he will have them recline at the table, and he will come and wait on them. So Christ is saying, I'm going to show up and wait on you, If you're ready, and then listen to what he says in verse 38. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if I show up in the middle of the night. Y'all hear that? Have y'all ever seen any mobster movies? Do you hear this? It'll be good if the master finds his servants waiting. It's not a threat, but kind of, right? It'd be better for you. It'd be better for you if you were working instead of waiting. It's like, I'm not doing it, I'm not threatening you. I'm just saying it'd be better. (laughs) 
I love it, man. It's God saying, it'd be better for you if you stopped waiting around and started doing something to prepare the world for me. When I show up, you better not be sitting there thinking about what you should have done. You better be working because I mean business this time. Can you imagine? I mean, God is saying this to us. And so, yes, Christ is coming to restore humans, to restore humanity. But while we're waiting, we can be working to restore humanity. Those of you who are, who are going out, serve on the streets, going in the homeless camps, you're not waiting, you're working. You're doing it while he's, while waiting for him. The, the safe families, families, and those who are sick, you are working to restore humanity. You aren't sitting there waiting. You are, Christ has come. Thy kingdom comes every time you love on one of those children. Thy kingdom comes through you. Every single person in this house who is serving in any sort of way, you are preparing the world for the coming of the king. He is going to win the battle, but you are preparing the world for the battle to be won. Guys, that parking lot out there, it's got asphalt on it now. Give it up for that. That's good. That may seem insignificant to you, but every single thing we do to make this place more inviting, to bring more people in, could be another soul we see on the other side of this thing. And I am thankful for the work that was done out there. That is good work. It's necessary work. Right? James, at one point, James is, is talking. James is Jesus' uh, stepbrother because they, they get different daddies. But James is talking to a crew of people one time. And James looks up and says, hey, make it easy for them. And the more we do to make it easier for them, the more we win. So while we're waiting for him to come to restore people, we are restoring people. He's coming back to restore creation. But while we're waiting, we can be restoring creation. Imagine the day Christ comes back again to make that lake clean. And you and your family are on your hands and knees pulling trash out of a lake that belongs to God. And the master shows up and he goes, oh, I see you're already working. This lake is clean. And then he says, now watch this. Thank you for everything you've done. Let me finish what you started. And Christ himself takes over and perfects what you have been perfecting. How cool is that? How cool is that? If Christ shows up and you're doing what he came to do. Any of y'all like it if you're going home to clean the house and somebody's already there cleaning your home? Right? We all like that. Right? Go ahead and give him an elbow. Clean, man. We all like that. Christ is coming again. This, this is the part where I just sat in my office and cried. This is, Christ is coming again to judge the world. Imagine he gets back and we have been so united and so loving and so non-judgmental that there's no one to judge. Because they've all surrendered their lives to him. And he shows up on that white horse with the sword and he goes, let's party. Let's just worship. Let's just worship. Because I'm the king, clearly. Everyone's bowed down to me. I came here to judge, but everyone is bowed down worshiping me. So let's just worship. Can you imagine being in that number if Christ shows up and you're at that homeless shelter, you're with that safe family, or you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you look up and you go, I got this one, Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servants. He's coming back again. And it will be better. 
It will be better for us <laughs> if he found us doing something. Yeah. It would be better for you. It would be better for the bride. It would be better for them. It would be better if he found us doing something. And I don't know what he's calling you to do, but he's not calling you to sit around and wait. We are not waiting here for you. We're working here for you. God, take your glory from this place.